Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I want to ask you what you think today. How well do you know yourself? Would you say that you are self-aware? Self-awareness involves uh, both an awareness of how others see you and an ability to honestly see yourself. Uh, The opposite of being self-aware is being conceited, having an elevated view of yourself beyond what others see. Um, One study indicated that even though most people believe that they are self-aware, only about 10 to 15 percent of them actually fit the criteria. I'm not sure how they figured that out. But, um, so there's this question that comes up then. Can self-awareness be taught? A guy named Scott Burkham says this. To become more self-aware, you have to be self-aware enough to realize how self-aware you are not. And he goes on to say, that commitment is what I think answers my question. You can maybe teach someone to be self-aware or help them along the way, but only if they're serious about the pursuit. Well, kind of related to this then, I recently watched a video segment of me speaking to a group of people. And I became self-aware of something. Honestly, I was appalled by how many times I said um and ah in between my sentences. And uh, I became aware. (laughs) I just did it, didn't I? Now, don't anybody start counting them, please. Uh, You know what happens when you get nervous? You say it all the more. And I was aware I was a nervous guy that day but I had no idea how much I said that and how badly it affected my verbal communication. And I am determined to work at eliminating those ums and ahs for the sake of the pain that it causes uh, listeners when I overdo that. But you know, it is a much bigger challenge to work on some things that involve our inner self. The ums and ahs, you know, they are undeniable when you get a video on there, and you, you can't, can't deny it, it's there. But the inner workings of the mind can be heaped with self-deception, because there's no camera that goes there. And, and as we take a look today at, at another penitential psalm, Psalm 51, we get a glimpse of the problem of self-deception at one point in the life of its author, King David. And David became self-aware only when Nathan the prophet confronted him about something. And so I invite you to look with me at this. And um, I'd like you to, instead of studying your Bibles today, if you would take out your hymnal, and in the front of it, on page 125, there is a responsive reading, and I'd like us to read this together. So in the front there, 125, before you get to the hymns. Would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read today? So 
So page 125, uh, just a little ways down, starts with Psalm 51, and I will read the bold part, and if you would then respond. No, I think that's the other way around. (laughs) I'll read the first part, and you read the bold. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Do not cast me away from thy presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare thy praise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let us pray. O Lord God, may this prayer of a contrite sinner, David, be our prayer today as well. Speak to our hearts about it. Teach us about ourselves. Even as we look at it today, may you have your way in each of our hearts and our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. think that many of you know the background behind this psalm. David was king of Israel. He was appointed by God to be king while he was yet a boy. Anointed king because God looked not at the outward appearance, but he looked at the heart, and he saw a man after God's own heart. And under King David, the nation of Israel greatly expanded, and David often led his nation's armies in battles against the Philistines and other various nations that surrounded them. But one evening, David was not out there with the army. Instead, he was at home at at his palace. And from its rooftop, he had a great view of the city, including of his neighbors. And one of them was a beautiful lady married to one of David's army officers, and her name was Bathsheba. And that night, she was out taking a bath down below the palace, and David saw her. 
and he lusted after her. And he had her brought to him that night, and they committed adultery. And that would have been bad enough. But their act that, resu- that night resulted in Bathsheba getting pregnant. And David then taking steps to try to cover it up, which didn't work. And so in one last way to assure that it would be covered up, David had her husband sent into the thick of the battle, and he was killed. Now no one would ever need to know the rest of the story, right? Wrong. David Bathsheba knew, and God knew, and apparently some others did too. And after a time of David living in self-deception concerning what he had done and being quite miserable in it, Nathan the prophet came to him with this story, a story of a rich man who had lots of flocks and herds, but who had taken the one and only little ewe lamb of a poor neighbor family and had it butchered for a meal for himself and the company that came that day. And when David heard that story, he was angry. And he wanted to make that rich man pay fourfold for what he had done. And then Nathan, the prophet of God, said to David, You are the man. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God broke through in David's heart. And he became self-aware. And he saw himself as the sinner that he really was. And he responded in humility and in confession of his sin. And that prayer of a contrite sinner then is what we have before us here in this psalm. This prayer of David shows a great deal of self-awareness, an awareness that came as a result of being willing to listen to someone else challenge him about something that he'd been fooling himself about before. And the psalm starts out then, in the first couple verses, with an appeal to God for mercy. And that appeal for mercy is based on a couple of things. One of them is this, God's loving kindness and compassion, and the other is David the sinner's need for cleansing. And both go hand in hand here, and and, and they do so in our situations as well. One thing that makes us willing then to admit our sinfulness is knowing that God loves us, warts and all, disgusting and shameful as some of our actions have been, his loving kindness or his steadfast love for us is an unwavering thing, though He absolutely knows everything about us. And because of his amazing compassion for us sinners, he's provided a way of full forgiveness of all of our sins in his son Jesus Christ. And so David appeals to God for mercy here, and the psalm starts out, Be gracious to me, O Lord, because of your loving kindness, and according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And David has lived with this self-deception long enough, and he hasn't fooled this all-knowing God. And so at last he humbles himself in full confession of sin, and that confession of sin is due to three things I see here. One of them is that constantly guilty conscience that he had. David had been just miserable. He said, verse 3, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Try as he might, he was not, he's not been able to shake it from his mind. We have another psalm, another potential psalm, uh, 32, where he gives us a picture of this being on his mind day and night, interrupting his work in the day and, and his sleep at night. If you've ever experienced such an inner torture of conscience, you know how it drains the life out of you and it cripples everything. 
And that's what David found, and so he confessed his past sinful actions. He, he laid it all out there before God, all that he had done. The lust, the adultery, the cover-up attempt, and even the murder. And David at this point then realizes and he confesses something else as well, and that is that sin is not just something that he has done, but it's who he is. And he recognizes then this sinful bent from the time of conception. He says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. And, and he's saying what we confess in our service here sometimes when we say, Oh God, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Therefore we flee to your infinite mercy. And that's all we can do. But that's all we need to do, too. Flee to God's infinite, unlimited mercy. David, in this prayer of Psalm 51, then goes on to make a request of God. A request for restoration. And he does so because of his absolute confidence in God's ability. In God's ability to cleanse and to restore joy and to remove his sin from his sight. You see, God can take a dirty, rotten sinner and make him clean. He says in verse 7 here, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now what is hyssop? Hyssop is an aromatic plant that was used in Jewish rites of purification. And so the person purified with hyssop then wouldn't stink anymore. Instead, he'd smell fresh, like mint. And I don't have to explain that other part here of what color snow is. You, you all have seen plenty of it this season. Um, and we sang about it in that song before this. You see, David believes in a God who can take dirty, stinky sinners and cleanse them so they smell good and are clean in his sight, as clean as the new fallen snow. And he prays in verse 12 here also, then restore me to the joy of your salvation. Because he believes in a God who can take miserable sinners and restore their joy in their lives. Because they can let go completely of the guilt of all of the failures of the past. And he prays in verse 9 here, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Because he believes in a God who has said that he will take all of our sins and cast him into the deepest sea, and remember him no more. And not only that, but David also has a belief in an inner renewal. That is, he believes that God can actually change hearts. That he can take a heart of clay, which is cold and lifeless, and make it a heart of flesh that is alive. And David has confidence in, that God can and will create a new spiritual heart in him, and renew a steadfast spirit in him. He believes that God can and will take a heart that's prone to wander from God and make it cling to God in a relationship with him instead. And that's what happens, you see, when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within the heart of a regenerate sinner. And they're given a new heart and a change of their very will so that they desire to please and to serve God. And David believes that God can cause a change of the will through the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
Verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And furthermore, David believes in a God who will yet be able to use him. Use him to help other sinners. And he's saying here then, Lord, if, if you'll work that complete cleansing of my sins of the past and, and that change of my heart that's bent on sin, and, and if you'll give me a will that wants to follow after your ways, and if you'll work that change in me because I can't do it myself, no matter how hard I try, if, you, if you'll do that, Lord, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. Then I will not be able to help telling the world what you've done in my life. And as a result, others can find hope too. And so sinners here today, do you believe in a God that can still do all that for you and for others if we will just humble our hearts before him in full disclosure of the things that he already knows? You know, it has to start there for each of us. And, and that's the message that the Christian church must declare you see, without an awareness of sin and without repentance of it, there is no forgiveness. But with confession and repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, there's full forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's restoration of joy, there's an inner renewal, there's a change of the will, and an eagerness then to spread our hope to a hopeless world. Some of you might have heard about a church down in Minneapolis that's been in the news a bit in the last month or so. Uh, it's in a Minneapolis suburb, and this congregation was down to about 30 elderly members. And they decided they should try to do a relaunch of this congregation before they just had to close their doors. And so they asked the old folks there to stay away for a couple of years. Go worship elsewhere and then reapply for membership after they've managed to attract a younger crowd. Social media got a hold of this and the story's kind of gone wild. Well, the rest of the story with this small congregation is they're part of a, what you might call a two-point parish or um, a second campus concept anyway. Um, part of it along with a very prosperous congregation that's just about 15 minutes away. And so the leadership of the joint parish then had this novel idea of how they would get life back into this dying congregation. Well, World Magazine had an article on it lately here and, and pointed out something else so something that's concerning really about both campuses, and that is this. They did a survey of, the 12, of, of 12 weeks of sermons from their pastors and, and also including the bishop of their denomination um, and found that of those sermons for three months then, not a single reference was made to repentance or conviction or guilt or law or commandments or the holiness of God or judgment or atonement or God's wrath against sin not a single mention of any of those things. Nor did any of those sermons in 12 weeks mention eternal life or reconciliation with God or the necessity of forgiveness, obedience, or the cost of discipleship. I'm really wondering what those sermons were about. Because those are the things that are the central teachings of the Christian church. And if the kingdom of God is to grow, instead of just growing a slightly religious social club, then those are the things that have to be talked about. 
And we see it in the psalm here, when David became aware of his utter sinfulness and he came to know that God in his loving kindness and compassion fully forgave him for all of his sins, cleansed him, restored his joy, worked an interchange in his heart, and could still even use him then to help others find hope in God. Then we see in the last verses of this psalm, there, there's this humble response of worship of God. And, and what does that worship involve? Well, this tremendous relief from guilt results in, in praise coming out of his lips. He says, Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. You see, David's awareness of that awfulness of his sin had resulted in him becoming silent in his shame. But now, knowing that he stands not on his own, but in God's righteousness, which is what we too have if we are in Jesus Christ, then David can't help but just open his lips and declare, praise you, God. And this humble worship also then involves an awareness of the kind of a sacrifice that pleases God. Not outward rituals, but a softness of heart. The Old Testament sacrifices to God meant nothing unless they came from the heart. He says in verse 16 here, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That means then, God's not impressed with any of our church attendance or even our service in a church. He's not impressed with what we wear or what we look like when we come up for communion. He's looking in our hearts. And he's looking for humble hearts, self-aware of their sinfulness and their need for cleansing. Looking for hearts that, that believe in him and his steadfast love and his forgiveness that's made available to all of us who will trust in Jesus Christ. And as we prepare our hearts today to receive communion. I want to just go right to that exhortation as the end of my message here. And I remind you that you need not be a member of Maranatha to partake of communion here. We ask that you search your heart. You ask the Lord to search your heart. And if you find yourself in right relationship with Jesus, that you feel free to, to come to the Lord's table. We have this word of exhortation, dear friends in Christ, in order that you would receive this holy sacrament in a worthy manner, you should carefully consider what you must now believe and do. From the words of Christ, this is my body which is given for you, this is my blood which is shed for you for forgiveness of sin, you should believe that Jesus Christ is present with his body and blood as the words declare. And from Christ's words for forgiveness of sins, you should also believe that Jesus gives to you his body and blood to strengthen your assurance that your sins are forgiven. And finally, you should do as Christ commands you when he says, take, eat, drink of it, all of you. This do in remembrance of me. If you believe these words of Christ and do as he therein has commanded, then you properly examine yourselves and may eat Christ's body and drink his blood in a worthy manner. And you should also unite in giving thanks to Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for so great a gift. And love one another with a pure heart, and thus with the whole Christian church. Have comfort and joy in Christ our Lord. To this end, may God the Father give you his grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we prepare our hearts for communion today, our confession of sin is found in your 
ambassador hymnal. It's, it's a hymn that comes right out of Psalm 51. Creating me a clean heart. It's number 392 in your ambassador hymnal. I invite you to take that out. And, and before we sing that, I'm going to just close in a prayer that is kind of summarizing what David said in this psalm. And, and uh, may this prayer, as I pray it personally, be your prayer as well. And then follow with creating me a clean heart as we sing together. Let us pray. O loving and compassionate God, I am a wretched sinner calling out to you for help and confessing that my conscience is weighed down by the guilt of some things I have done and also that at the very core of my being I am bent towards sin. And I know that you can completely cleanse me of my sin and restore my relationship with you, my Creator, and remove my sin from your sight and bring back joy into my heart. And you can also change my heart and my will and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as I know you can and will do that, my heart overflows in thanks and praise. And I long to serve you any way I can and to be used of you to yet help other sinners know their Savior.